Rocking chair, chair sessions. sessions. With Elisa Di Battista, Maria Teresa Barber. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another RCS Rocking Chair Session, Volume 133, with curator Are Omotosho. Welcome. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank Hi, you for Are. coming. Thanks Happy so much New Year to you. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, and sorry for the delay, but um, the flu is real, and I was sick for a while, and we're so grateful that you were able to reschedule to sit with us, so thank and you for that. We can start 2020 with you. And fresh. Kind of cold. Right. <laughs> and First fresh. of the year. It's gonna be. It's going to be a good year i think i think so too and a very different year from the last one yeah especially especially for you as well like can we jump in on that we can jump in on that i think right right. just go ahead it's it's new because i'm no longer at pam Mm -hmm. um so i was working at pam for two years as a curatorial fellow Mm -hmm. um that was the ford foundation curatorial fellowship but this year I um, am just doing a lot of freelance work, a lot of writing, um, editing. I'm serving as the Miami editor-at-large for Burnaway, which is an arts publication focused on the South that is based in Atlanta. Cool. Um, So my work is going to look very different this year, and I'm still figuring out, you know, what shape it will take exactly, but... I'm I'm excited for it. Yeah, it's like I don't I don't even know the the Pam without you because I felt like you started Aww. pretty much when I was was getting the teaching artist position and right. we definitely miss you a lot. It was like you were like Thank one you. of the curators that was that was so close to education as well and mm-hmm. you did some you know you did some great things. I, I remember I, I I was like thinking about this photo exhibition that you put together yes. and it was just like yeah, it was just like a new fresh, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. take on on exhibitions in general but especially seeing the photos like it was really incredible. Yeah. 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 So we miss you there. I but. miss y'all. <laughs> I miss y'all. I mean, I definitely I think I learned so much being there. Um, I learned, I think probably what was most significant, too, was just learning about what I didn't like. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was really valuable. Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure in what ways that will, like, directly influence, you know, the things that I do or the work that I do. But I think in the long run, like, down the line, it will, Definitely. I think sometimes when you're in a institutions such as that sometimes you do have certain limitations whether it be because of board members or just because like um regulations that keep the place running that you realize oh if i do eventually move forward or keep on in this like these are things or or kind of like adjustments that i would want to make to either facilitate my life or create a better environment or or whatever it is to create those improvements but having seen it and witnessed it and and experienced it in-house i think is um so much different than not so it's it's definitely made you stronger i think in the profession that you're in I think so too, mm-hmm. and it was also like the first or second, um, like institutional, uh, curatorial position that I had worked because prior to being at Pam, I was in Houston oh. doing another curatorial fellowship, but um, that one funded by Mellon. So I was at the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. That's awesome. So, how long was that one for? That was also two years, but I wasn't. <laughs> undergrad student while I was doing it so (laughs) I was um, I went to school at the University of Texas in Austin so during the year I would make like one trip a month um, to the museum stay for maybe a few days or maybe Mm. it was just like one day I would just like make that two hour drive which I now miss um, because I don't have a car here in Miami, so I miss like you know that two hours of a just long like road trip, yeah, 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 and just like playing whatever album just came <laughs> out. It's like okay, I'm gonna go to Houston, do my work, come back, do my homework, you know. Um, so, but yeah, during the school year, it was like a monthly um, trip, and then during the summer, I was full time. So this was really my first full time. Um, 
position. Curatorial position, yeah. Mm-hmm. So oh that, goodness. too, was a big learning curve. And you I think like, post-school oh. is kind of like, wow. Yes, post-school, it's like, wow, I have to be here all these hours every day. For what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think in curatorial, you were kind of expected to be at your desk, right? Is that is that the way it was? Or were you were you able to just go about and, you know... Yeah, go I, see shows and yeah, like go. I think I definitely tried to like institute that on my own and just like the things that I would do every day because curating is it's one of those jobs where you have to be out, you have to be living. Yeah. You know? It's like writing. Yeah. Where you have to be living. You can't just be like sitting at a desk behind a computer nine to five yeah yeah i mean there is a lot of admin work that you need to do right Always, you need to make yeah. your phone calls you need to paperwork, send your emails order. the paperwork mm-hmm. the things that are not so fun but i think you also need to be like seeing things and Witnessing. doing studio visits mm-hmm. right just getting to know the city you're in and the artists who are mm-hmm. working within it mm-hmm. so so you've been in Miami for two years now, right? A little over two years. A little years. over two years. Yeah. Congratulations. And, um, Thank you. Is that, is that something I think that's great. I think if you make it, because if you think about it, two years is like a grad program. So if you make it past two years, it's like, okay, you're in. You're right. getting your feet wet. You're comfortable. You're you did starting the summer. It. Exactly. Yeah. You did them. Yeah. It's funny that you said that because when I moved here, it was with that in mind. I was like, okay, I'm going to move to Miami. I'm going to be there two years. I'm going to try and make this like a grad school experience for myself. Yeah. So really try to like dig in, learn as much as I can, and then go off to grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that still on the list? You know, I just finished <laughs> applying, Ooh. which was fingers crossed. Fingers think, cr- thank knocking you. on wood. Knocking yes. on wood. those applications it's so much work and I only applied to three schools because I was I knew my limits and I was like I'm not going to overexert myself yeah it's just it's too much the process is a lot it's a lot so I guess it was nice to be done at Pam at the end of October because I just spent November and December you need to focus on that. You That's really like need a full-time fo- it's job. It's a full-time job. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm emailing old professors and getting this and getting that. Recommendation transcripts. Yes, and then transcripts. The, yeah. GRE, what? You had to take the GRE? I took the GRE. It was what? ridiculous. I did that too in oh, Austria. I'm that. sure you scored better than I did because oh, no. I... I had to do verbal twice or like the, the for me, the hardest okay. because I was not, I'm not an English native speaker, right. so oh, it was like right. hard. True, true. Yeah, I, I didn't do good That's in verbal, point. but... The things you take for granted yeah, yeah i mean i guess verbal was my strong suit or not i guess i know it was mm-hmm. <laughs> that was clear from the scores math i mean the Some last of those things were like it's like the x y oh, z gotta yes. love math blah, blah, blah. and i was like um high school high school <laughs> Hello? but i don't even remember I didn't miss that you. from high school <laughs> I really And the analytical, I was really good at the oh, analytical. What were your strengths in high school that you're like, oh, I think I'll try curating? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> definitely not math. I knew that that was like out of the question. I So I took an art history class my junior year in high school. Okay. And I had always like made art growing up and really loved it. But of course, like... You know, art being an artist is never like a viable thing for mm-hmm. most parents. To most parents, you know, it's like, why would you grow As up and become an artist? Me. Right. You know, my own parents are immigrants from Nigeria, so you're expected to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know. Something, the whole, yeah. Yeah. Something, traditional. Yeah. Traditional and, and stable. Inc- yeah. Like high income. Right. You know, and they're thinking, you know, in your best interest, because this field can be so rocky at times that you're like, maybe I do need to go to law school. Um, but I took an art history class my junior year, and I had a feeling that I was going to like it, but I really loved it. And that was like the first time I thought about being a curator. So it's interesting to think about that one little class and all these years later, I'm in Miami having done 
another curatorial fellowship in that field yeah. yeah do you feel that the teacher you had at that moment saw within you like oh this is this is for you or they might have pushed you towards we i really liked what was it? mr Reed, that was his name and i think he really saw that i was really like interested in the material there was this um essay contest that was like put on by i think it was the dallas museum of art and they wanted students from the metroplex to respond to works in their collection so i wrote about uh a modrion painting in the collection and one third place wow. and there was like Whoa. this whole ceremony and okay. it like had me out in like this part of Dallas that I mean I grew up in the suburbs but I felt like I was almost entering like private school magnet school kid territory just being in the auditorium um, and they gave me a check a $50 check hey, something in Ooh. high school I yeah. know <laughs> but also like when you think about it it's like people get paid that much now to write like you know Articles. Articles. <laughs> so it's like they, they, maybe they were doing something with that $50 check. But yeah, my mom was there and was like really excited and was really proud of me. Um, and you and could be like, yeah, it makes money. Yes, you know? it's right. Like, so yeah. it, it felt like that, you know, to be recognized Made for. Viable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also like the first subject that I really had something that I was recognized in, you know, so. It was like, okay, maybe I can do this. You got bit by the bug. I got bit by the bug. I was like, maybe I should do this. And so, yeah. That set it off. That's pretty neat. What did you write about Mondrian? So I wrote about how, okay, I wrote about how um, Europeans were disillusioned after the war Mm -hmm. and the work that, the modernist work that was being made in the post-war period was responding to, um, you know, that spirit of disillusionment with war, with society. Um, And, you know, at the end of that essay, I like, because it was named after the Place de la Concorde Mm -hmm. in Paris, so Mm -hmm. I was trying to bring that history into the essay and I think ultimately the jury committee didn't like that decision but I still stand by it I think it's like a really smart pivot to make but also it's the title so what wouldn't you know you know right I think that's something else about um, to be said about our history is that I think each curator um, not only recognizes the history that has been written, but also reinterprets it through a fresh pair of eyes. Because right. um, although something has already been written previously for years, mm-hmm. um, it's not always what was intended. Exactly. So the fact that you you know visualized it and thought of it as a different way, it's like, well, why not? Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there needs to be more of that. And even just reading, I guess this relates to even just the work that I do as a writer. Like when I'm reading. An essay, I mean, we all like inherit these ideas about what the essay is supposed to be yes. or how it's supposed to be structured. The order, for sure. Yeah. So, like, having that kind of pivot or digression is sometimes looked down upon. But also, when you read, like, you know, giants of the essay, like people who are very important in American letters, like, you'll find a digression. James Baldwin would do, like, a digression where in the beginning, He's leading you down one path, and by the end, you're walking down, you know, a very different one. So, yeah, I feel I still stand by that because I feel like that kind of thinking is, in some ways, um, what I'm trying to do even now in my work or create space for that in my work, you know, for like digressions that um, are illuminating in some way. Yeah, the, unbe- the unbeaten path or the unfallen. Yes. But I feel like I even see a connection with the photo show that mm-hmm. you put together because I feel like there was also there was a path, but yes. then you would also like, you know, venture out and mm-hmm. then bring it back together. But it was also like starting with like very early work, 
um, you know, showing like African-American life in yeah. the States. Mm-hmm. And then it was this very young artist. I looked her up actually from San Francisco. She did uh, the last photography. Oh, yes. Erica um, Demon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who did this beautiful, large scale portrait um, also of, of an, I believe, African-American woman as well. Right. right. And it was like really, it was, the, so there was like a line, but there was also like a lot of venturing out. Yes. I know that. Um, Evans, um, Walker Evans, yeah, the, Walker uh, the Evans. damaged sign, yeah. which is like, oh my God, I went to see this show in San Francisco. Oh, yes. That's the show about him. Yeah. But um, can you talk a little bit more about yeah. this yes, show? The I mean, I show and like, how it all came together. You know, so there really wasn't a title. There were some things that I was playing around with, but nothing like cohered in the end and I guess I also didn't really need a title because it was just an installation yeah, yeah it was the perp- it was part of our gift of art exhibition which was celebrating um, 35 years of the museum but also the gifts given to the museum's collection um, but curating that installation was a lot of fun because I had so much free reign and I think I talked to you some about this because yeah. I remember you doing all the research yes, in the library. And Franklin was just like, knock yourself out. Awesome. And, you know, a lot of the other curators were too busy, too, to even, you know, be involved in that project. And so it was great. It was really your baby. It was I me. mean, you put it up I, together. I put it all together. together. I, did the exhibition design in some ways beginning to finish beginning to finish you know working with the great prep team and relying on their eye too um a former colleague and mentor of mine was like yeah like if you ever have any doubts just like ask the prep team like they do this for a living they're the ones that are looking at sight lines all the time so like you know rely on them as well so i definitely was asking them tons of questions about what they thought about, you know, this placement or that placement. But really, I mean, I think a lot of my curatorial work um, is really grounded in writing. I always consider writing to be the foundation of any kind of project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And other curators have talked about this as well, you know, this idea of curating being like writing poems in space like I think so much of the work of just putting something down on the page is really what is shaping the scope of an exhibition Um, so working on that project it was fun to really play around with that Um, even just in terms of like you know syntax like I was thinking about like enjambment and what like enjambment will do in a poem how can I bring some of the spirit of that to an exhibition like what works can I put next to each other that create the same kind of tensions or juxtapositions that you might find in a poem and so much of the curatorial enterprise is about these juxtapositions you know what another work is doing in relation to the next so true it affects it completely changes the conversation yeah Yeah. right that's what that's what i was also thinking like Mm -hmm. of of that um so it was a salon style exhibition but it had like this line you know where you felt like there was a beginning and it went around the room it had some breaks because there were like the hallways Mm -hmm. um but it, it, it had like this this line and it had this digressions as well and yes. that it was in the play of it it was just like like there was this um this wow, zeppelin right that with this aluminum frame do you yes, remember that yes. it was just like so incredible and then yeah. there was the maple syrup was there and then there was like i like think the, that was the bernice abbott that was like in an aluminum frame and it was crazy it was like a good year frame from like the 20s and wow. i was like what is this? Like it was, it was the oddest yeah. thing, but it was like so fun to have that up. Like it was that material was directly responding to the work that um, within it, yeah, it was depicting, yeah. which was like this huge. I don't even know what to call it because that was it a zeppelin. Yeah, it was a yeah, zeppelin. That's exactly yeah. what it was. So, um, and yeah, so it was just great to have something like that up. I think it 
you know, those oddities like add some texture to the work and it's fun for like me to look at as a curator, but also, you know, the viewers. The yeah, viewers sure. and, that yeah. totally, that totally tricked me out. I don't know how to say it, but it was just like yeah. so cool. And then because the maple syrup yes. had also these um, foreign materials that you would not expect yes. like in a photo exhibition, yeah. you know, he had like this kind of like um, grid. It's he like a this, me- like, mesh on there. Mesh and the paper. It, it was, was on, on a, a brown paper, paper bag that was painted with uh, like purple acrylic paint. Yeah. Wow. Really rare Maplethorpe work. And, you know, again, happy to have worked on that show because I think in other museum settings, I would not have been allowed to have that material on view. Or such free reign. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it, I mean, it's rare too. Like, those are some of the earliest experiments of his in um, making artwork at all. You know, like, if anyone has read Just Kids, his yeah. the book that Patty Smith wrote about their friendship, like those were the little collages that he was like cranking out while like Patty Smith was I don't know working at the bookstore I think it was, and you know he was looking for work himself and was selling um, jewelry mm-hmm. that he was making and mm-hmm. just making these collages so. Yeah, a really rare one. Really and it's special. amazing that it's, yeah, in the collection. How long, more or less, did it take you um, from the commencement of, of, of writing to, like, opening day? Like, what what's the time like timeline mm. like for you as a curator, and does it differ between shows? It definitely differs between shows, um, depending on the kind of exhibition you're putting together, um, depending on if it is, like, what artists you're working with. Um, So I wasn't really working with any artists, so it was mostly a timeline that was set by myself, but it also just had to um, deal with the overall museum exhibition schedule. So I think the planning for that show or talk of it started the summer prior. But we had to move things around. Yeah, it was supposed to open like during Basel, mm-hmm. I think. But Pam is a very busy place. Yes. And there's always shows going Something. up, you know, not in huge staff, right? In the way that you might think of other large institutions. Um, and there are like certain specifications of how photographs should be handled how long they can be on view usually like three to four months but in the end i the show ended up opening much much later um and i really had to kind of you know whip it together because i it had been so long from when it was supposed to originally open i still wasn't entirely sure where we were at with it or when it was supposed to open so I kind of had to crank it out, but I think my thinking for it was there for a while. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew I wanted to do a salon-style hang, and I had already gone through and selected photographs that I thought were really strong. The inventory. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I had all of that. Then it was just a matter of sitting down and putting the design together, saying, like, okay, what photographs do I want next to each other, mm-hmm. and what histories am I trying to highlight or share with the public in um, arranging the show. Mm-hmm. So that took, hmm, it, it didn't take too long, but it was something that I was working on like <clears throat> daily. I'd say maybe two weeks of me like really like sitting Hold down on. and trying to get the yeah, because you had the the plan. I yeah, remember plan you running that, around with these big right, sheets that, of paper yes, and, and right, the architectural plan. <laughs> yes, yeah. which was, I mean, it's. I still. I think curators use so many different methods for putting together shows, right? So some people use the. I'm forgetting the name of it now. Because we have a model, like yes, we have like maquettes. a, a museum, use, yeah. and the physical yeah. maquettes. Yeah, yeah. They I use have the it in like Some people do huge. that. <laughs> when I was in Houston, um, my mentor would use Excel. He like developed some program in Excel that would allow him to just 
depending on the scale of the photographs, he would input it in Excel and then it would go up. There was no physical maquettes. So I was coming from that to then a place where they were using maquettes and I was like, okay, how do I, what do I, how do I work with this? Like, I don't, (laughs) what? Like, and then it wasn't really working. And so I was just like, Jay, could you print out, Jay is the chief preparator. And I was like, could you just print out like um, a model of the walls and I'll just tape these down? Cause I really needed to be able to like put things up against each other and like trying See. to like play mm-hmm. around with it wouldn't have allowed me to do what I needed to do. Um, so that worked out. I had also come to him first thinking like, oh, could we do something in Excel? And he was just like, I don't know what you want. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? So, so everyone was just kind of like, what do you mean? Like, how can you do this in Excel? And I would just be like, well, Malcolm I know what you're referring to. Okay, I know so what you're you, referring to. Not necessarily on Excel, but I definitely use Illustrator. And I yes. like having a floor plan of okay. like what everything looks like. And then mm-hmm. you have the dimensions of the wall. And then you scale down right. the dimensions the of the images. artwork to fit exactly. into the yeah. Exactly that. You've got to see because it. Because you do it in Illustrator. I do it in yeah. Illustrator. Yes. And she always does also like the right size of the artwork. Okay, and right. then it's like, that's, you I know. I think that's what they use in prep to yeah. like do, you Illustrate, know. Illustrator, yeah. yeah. But Excel is just stuff. like so um, I know. out there. It's, it's very, kind of cool. It is, yeah. It's out there. But Innovative. I don't know. I would see him using it. And I was like, wow, this looks amazing. He even had like a model so you could get a sense of like um you know the scale of the viewer oh, and the work i was like wow you take it one step further yeah, yeah i mm-hmm. should i really should just ask him to like email me that <laughs> so i because i i need that yeah for something like yeah. that sure. yeah for the because future. it's funny once you start with one program you just you just yes. figure all these things out exactly. and even if it's and counterintuitive it right. but for him it's just you the way to work. do it yeah that is mm-hmm. so cool um, one question about um, about the selection of the photographs. Yeah. Since you had, you basically had the permanent collection, right? All yes. the photographs that were in the permanent collection were like mm-hmm. up for grabs. How how were you going about choosing? Was it like you 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 picked the ones where you felt like no, they they have to be out, and then you you had like a skeleton where you built the show around it, or? I really just went through and was looking for work that I was drawn to or that I knew was especially strong, right? Mm -hmm. So I saw the Maplethorpe. I was like, this has to be in there. Um, The Walker Evans. There was that Lyle Lashen Harris. The Manuel Alvarez Bravo. Like, a lot of these photographers were favorites of mine anyway, so it was just fun to put something together Mm -hmm. um, with them involved. Um, so that's really where it started. I think when you're going through, you also, there are also just another set of questions that are running through your mind. Okay, mm-hmm. like, what is the scale of this work? Is this going to look good on the wall next to this one? So then maybe I'm making a cut. Or is there too many men here? Do I want more women or, you know, more artists of color in this particular section? Um, so then maybe I'm making adjustments based on these kinds of questions. Um, but really, I think, I mean, I've heard, I don't remember what curator said it, but they were like, you know, the show needs to look good. Like whatever you're doing, whatever you're putting together, like does it look good on the wall? So true. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I try to keep that in mind and I also try to think about just curating shows with work that I believe in or that I'm interested in because then like you know why why are you doing yeah, it yeah how do you stand not, by it otherwise yeah mm-hmm. you know if your passion is not in it so that's really what shaped um, those decisions and then wall space like mm-hmm. I think the list was I can't. I think there was maybe fifty in the show in the end, or or I can't remember. It was over fifty. I think photographs. it was over fifty. There yeah. were over fifty photographs there in there. There was a lot of artists because but, when when uh, as a docent or even like with the kids, <laughs> when you give a tour, you're supposed to remember all right. the names of the photographers. I'm yes. really glad you made this uh, description. That was yes. really helpful with the you know yeah. where you had like a plan. Right. But I think there were I rem- more than fifty. At there like- was definitely more than fifty. Mm-hmm. I remember now that I cut out a whole section that was like 
architecture and you know photographs of the city I was like this won't really fit and <clears throat> I don't know what group I would put it next to like the other groups transi- transitioned really well into each other mm-hmm. but then the city one didn't really have anything that would like proceed or follow it that made sense so I was like oh I'll just cut this out Oh, it's too bad. It, yeah. orphan, it orphaned itself out. Yeah, it orphaned <laughs> itself out. And then I was able to cut down from there, too. But mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that's really how I mm-hmm. selected the photographs. So uh, from that experience moving forward, um, what direction do you feel like going to, like, curatorially? Because I know photography is definitely, um, you know, a, a favorite medium For of sure. yours, right? And mm-hmm. Um, so where do you see yourself going with mm. like a, a next exhibition or like in, in general, what would your dreams be? Hmm. I, I still want to curate more photo shows. I often like wonder if I should specialize in that exclusively. Um, and I don't think that I will ultimately because I still love like painting and other media um but hmm i always tell myself that like curating is not running anywhere like it's not going anywhere and you know i mean that in the sense that like i have some experience in it 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 feels like something that i can always return to at any time i don't feel like this weight or pressure of like you need to curate like this many things in a year or you need to have this project or if you haven't curated something then you're it means you're not working so yeah and that way i've given myself room to just explore the work as it comes to me and as i am feeling moved by it i think it's it's a it's a weird practice in some ways you're especially if you're trying to say there are many things that you can say right like I can put together lots of shows but like what is my own curatorial voice and what am I trying to say um, with that voice that is a whole other conversation and I think that's something that you only develop with time and through just living you know it's and in that way again it reminds me of writing like if they're when you're sitting down to write your memoir i mean you you have to like live a life some first you know it's not just gonna come right itself yeah i feel like it's another like regrouping period almost i feel like um having been somewhere for two years it is a great experience such a blessing and now you're you're doing this writing and it's going to give you opportunities, as you say, to live yes. and to see and mm-hmm. to eventually say, OK, well, this is an idea I had in mind. Yeah. It was on the back burner. Now I have to bring it to fruition. This exactly. opportunity popped up. I could actually make it happen. Mm-hmm. Maybe funding because funding is huge for right. making shows happen. Right. And then it all comes together instead of just like you say, forcing things or yeah. pumping things out. And then right. and then does it feel right? Exactly. I think making it feel right and, and right for you is, is very important. Mm, that's yeah. exactly it. Those totally. things are so important. Mm-hmm. So, because I feel like that is what, um, like the curators that I that I um, look up to, they they really do have that vision or that dialogue mm-hmm. that develops over their careers, yes. right? Yeah. And um, I think in, um, in the little Haiti Cultural Center, there was this um, curator who used to be at the LACMA, I believe. Okay. Shimo. Paul. Hmm. Paul. Oh, yes. And he was like yeah. talking about shows in that way, you know, where where he was like, he had like this bigger vision. It was not just yeah. finding finding artworks that go together no. or like having like this, oh yeah, this is a sample. And, but there was always like this one thing that he wanted to say. And yes. it, I feel like it has to do with somewhat of the zeitgeist or mm-hmm. um for sure what's going on at the moment mm-hmm. in a specific 
city also right? right that's why you have to kind of know those place you have too to know the place, yeah. and then of course also like the artists that um you know it's kind of like this the artist that you you have to know the artist too mm -hmm. like if you don't know the artist how are you going to put them right. in the show right, right. so I, i thought it was kind of like interesting and that um, yeah no he was a really important curator or still is an important curator i mean a lot of the shows that he curated are like really foundational especially in LA I think it was Helter Skelter that he curated did mm -hmm. he talk yeah. about yeah. that show yeah I remember like looking for that catalog in undergrad which was just a period where I was like oh like who is this curator mm -hmm. what were their approaches mm -hmm. I was just trying to figure out like how you could put an exhibition together mm -hmm. like what things did you need to think about um so it was a lot of just exploration. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Like they're, the vision part of it is, is the tricky part um, because a lot of curators also talk about making shows that aren't just you drawing a box and then putting the artist inside of it, yeah. but allowing the work to speak um, to each other and then creating a show out of that. Um, and that's tough. It, it means that you need to be patient. Um, but yeah, when you're working <clears throat> within an institutional context, it's like you're expected to pump things out. Or even if you're like an independent curator, um, it can be difficult to like make work that isn't you know, fastened to this timetable of like, you need to put something out. Like there needs to be something out. Um, my good friend, Naomi, oh, it's so funny. She jokingly referred to it as the McDonaldization of curatorial work. And I think it's so true. Like you see a lot of times, you know, shows that are just kind of like pumped out, but it's like, what are you saying? Or what are you trying to say? Or what do you want to say? Sometimes you don't remember those. I feel like the yeah. ones that um, are most impactful are the ones that are like, oh, did you go see that show? Are the ones that did um, take their time or um, the people behind it really did make an effort to make sure that the pieces um, spoke to each other and made right. sense. And at the end, like you say, looked good mm -hmm. um, together. And in terms of like the mass production aspect of it, I do feel that um, it's a pressure that you see across the fields, yes, I think, in the absolutely. art world, um, not just as a director or as a curator, yeah. or as an artist. This what's trending now, what's popular now, mm -hmm. what do I have to put out now? And um, I guess I would put the other side of the coin of the conversation where you said, like knowing what's going on in the present. I think permanence right. is important. So mm -hmm. even though something is happening in the present, will your show still make sense? In the yes. futures, yeah. Um, will people also appreciate it not just now, but like mm -hmm. 20 years from now? Yeah. Um, I, I had think that thought this afternoon about writing. Though I was thinking about, you know, just a lot of the work that you see in the media. Maybe it's an artist profile mm -hmm. or some other piece, and I was like, you know, if there isn't like a sizable chunk of this essay that is going to be useful in the future that can't be cited like what is the work really doing so i was just thinking about you know making sure that that's something that i'm paying attention to like as an editor and as Certainly. a writer mm -hmm. you know i think like you said like across the field there's I don't know, sometimes that rigor is missing, and so you're not seeing work that is really engaging in the way that it should. Because um, of the timetables. Because of timetables, because of pay. I mean, even just like writing-wise, like so much has changed. Print media is continually dying, and And even online, like publications are being bought up. Yeah, by, I was going to ask you are, you, are you printed? Are you doing online? What kind of timetables do you have online? Right. Like, how does that work? So Burnaway publishes online, but they actually uh, just published a reader last year, which okay. collected um, a lot of work that was published over the last year. So I have a review on Paolo Nazareth's show that was at ICA Miami nice. um, in the summer. 
Um, but, you know, it's funny because I, when I started writing for them, my approach was, I think, probably unconventional. Like, I saw, I would see a show. So Terrence was the first um, artist that I wrote about. I wrote about Terrence Price's work. Oh, yeah, we had um, him here, too. Yeah, so... His, I, was it the solo show? It was show? the show, yeah, the solo at the, show. At Oolite, right? At Oolite. Mm-hmm. So I saw the show, He loved showed it. us. He yeah. showed us the exhibition as well. He gave us a, well. gave us a yeah, private awesome. tour. Yeah, I did one too, mm-hmm. yeah. So I saw the show and loved it, really loved the work. And I was like, you know, I want to write about this. Um, and so I was like, go ahead and just write about the show. And then when you're done, maybe think about like, finding somewhere to place it um so i didn't it didn't start with like a pitch to a publication and then a confirmation and then me writing the piece it was, it was like just no consciousness I'm just, yeah. yeah i was like i'm gonna write this piece and then when it's when i think it's done i'm gonna reach out so i reached out to um our editor logan and you know he really loved the piece and they ran it um so that's how i started writing for them and I mean, I know that, like, moving forward, that kind of timetable where I give myself a lot of time, because I gave myself a lot of time to write the piece, to think about the piece, to edit the piece myself, um, because I think, I mean, you should be thinking about those editorial decisions even as a writer. Definitely. Like, I think... Self-editors are huge. Yes. I think the writer-editor relationship is not a one-way thing at all like it's it should be a conversation like maybe there are stylistic things that you want to keep that your editor is trying to change like that should be a conversation you know so I try to also think about ways that I am you know fostering that even in my own work with editors um so it's been great to work with um my editors Jasmine and Logan Um, because there's room for that. Um, But yeah, I mean, that really was the timeline for that piece. But I know this year I'm going to have to... (laughs) It's going to have to be quicker. Are they expecting you now to write about certain exhibitions or a certain number of pieces? Or how is that? I think I'll probably write about one piece a month. Mm -hmm. Um, But... It's exciting to be an editor because now I can call on writers in the city um, to write things about artists, about shows, and this is something that Miami needs. Like oh Miami my God, yes. <laughs> is growing, right? And I've had this conversation with so many people. I've had this conversation with Adler. I've talked to other, you know, curators and writers about it, but. In order to have a robust art scene, you need writers. And the other thing that Miami really lacks is that there isn't a publication that runs any kind of arts coverage. So there used to be the Miami Rail. And but it stopped. It stopped. And then I learned that, like, I think the Miami New Times will cover... Some small shows. Yeah, yeah. a show or, like, a major show at, like... A museum, but I think the some Herald of the other rides sometimes, but they don't have yeah, an art. There's no art section. Journalists right? are like an art section mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, they used to have. Remember? Yeah. Right, and we that's the thing. We interviewed the like, uh, the writer who used right. to write mm-hmm. about um, art. Yeah. Yeah, these least, things are uh, yeah. going away. We're losing mm-hmm. them, and it's like we need it. So, and the other thing is that I I was just making a list the other day of all of the writers so I want to reach out to and I'm really excited to reach out to them but it was like there are writers in the city yeah. really talented mm-hmm. really wonderful writers and it's a shame that there isn't you know this place where you can see that critical mass of writers thinking about various things all of their different sensibilities touching on you know different subjects and different artists so um, I'm excited to like step into that role and make it grow. Re- yeah, mm-hmm. really try and make it grow and just have a place where like you know you can go and really see like the work that is happening in the city. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, um, we were just talking about uh, one of our supporters, Art is About, uh, was a website where there was mainly uh, documentation, but there was also some articles being published, right. which is no longer uh, just mm. stopped as well. And Sadly. so let's hope it's paused for now. Maybe, yes. maybe they come back. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, um, I feel like also the writers that we talked about, it's just like there is not like a a, a, there's not a Mm-mm. publication there is not a which is the Miami Railroad was right. also like a very important right. uh, um, trying to fill in the gap yeah, and it's gone gap, now you know so gone. I feel like um, as an editor now are you able to so so is, is this going to be like a permanent section in in the in the in the magazine like online magazine mm-hmm. like a Miami a Miami there won't there, we don't have tabs by city but mm-hmm. um you will it's like you go to the website and it's like a new article posted so when you click on it um you know you'll see you'll read the piece you'll know where the writer Mm -hmm. is based Mm -hmm. um but i don't know maybe we will do it by cities in the future but I, i think just i also like you know being able to like open an article, not and, know where it is, yeah, yeah, not know where it's it homogenous. is. Mm-hmm. It's coming out of Miami, or this is coming out of somewhere else in the South, which mm-hmm. I think is also, I think the South in general is often like ignored or neglected when it comes to critical art writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that Miami will now have more representation in that That's way. That's so exciting, yeah, because the, like I said, like the writers are living here. They're working, but it's like they're not writing about anything in Miami because there's no publication. Yeah, yeah. To have in the city, scene. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like where will this work go? Mm-hmm. Because often the thing is, if it feels too local, you know, maybe it's not going to run in like Art Forum or some other major publication. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do need a place to have maybe a more local story something that feels very particular to this city Mm -hmm. um and also just something that will allow like new writers to learn um their craft and practice because Because i I feel like that is the one thing that also like the scene can't grow either you know if you don't have like i feel like the miami rail they were really trying to bring in editors to kind of work with the local writers to kind of like you know also train them and 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 um move like the field forward you right. know so now if you don't have that yeah how are the, the younger right. younger writers or how are they gonna you know learn mm-hmm. you know how are they gonna come up or exactly. how are other writers gonna be interested in living in this city mm-hmm. if there is not like a platform exactly. right that's it yeah. and they need that you know mm-hmm. feedback that criticism that engagement with their work to i mean it has an impact in all kinds of ways sometimes just Reading that is like, okay, I need to get back in the studio and do some work. A lot of times it's like I'm making work, I'm showing it, but it's not being written about, it's not being contextualized in any significant way. And I think, you know, I know that there are people in the city who have, you know, made a push for this, but I think recently I saw something and it was for this initiative to like, have writers like come to the city mm-hmm. and engage with um, artists living here. And I was like, that's not what Miami really needs because Miami has writers, you know? We just need to do... Give them the space. Yeah, the we vessel. need to give them the like space. The, yeah. It's not that there are mm-hmm. no writers in the city. It's not that no. we need to call on people who are working in L.A. and New, New York. York. Yeah. It's like we have it here. That's yeah. how we kind of started the podcast to begin with. Was like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, before we ask you your final question, um, sometimes um, within the art field, um, the little people—not just little um, artists, such as um, us—writing um, about art is very difficult for um, either how to describe it or what you experience when you go to an exhibit. How is it that um, you feel that it's best to enter um, a space and write about artwork or about um, a composition or a body of work? Like, what are some tips that you have for somebody that's trying to write about Mm. either individual pieces or a body of work? Great question. Um, Reading is really important. 
that's that's like number one any a piece any piece that i'm approaching i'm there's like a set of you know writings that i'm referencing um whether that's fiction or non-fiction like i'm reading brown girl brown stones right now by paul marshall and her descriptions are so stunning and i'm like i i already know like I have like sentences marked off that I'm going to like adapt and steal um, and make my own like in other pieces that I will write. Um, But I think like that can often be a way to just if you're unsure of where you want to start descriptive wise, like maybe there's a writer whose description that you really admire and you want to um, bring some of that to your own writing. I think that's a good place to start. But I also think just really looking at a work mm-hmm. and being honest with yourself about what you're seeing. I think a lot of times it's very easy to look at something. And even when you're describing it, you've like put something down that maybe sounds good or it sounds like the kind of writing that you saw here or there. But it's like, what are you actually seeing? Is that really there? Is this really... So you know true. the heart of you know the piece and the work and so yeah really being patient in your looking and um taking time to really put that down on the page i think those are two really important pieces yeah that's nice awesome thank you, thank you. Yeah. Thank so you. the very last question um You've been sitting in a magical rocking chair. It grants you three wishes. You can wish for anything and everything, but you wow. have to say it out loud for them to come true. Okay. Those are the rules of the rocking chair. Okay. So what are your three wishes? Three wishes. I wish for a really rich year of editing with Burnaway. I wish for a really um, successful year of freelance work, and I wish for a lot of personal and professional growth in the new year. Sounds good. <laughs> well, thank you for being our first 2020 session. Thank We're, you. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. We're looking forward to seeing what you come up with in this new year. Thank you. And fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We'll keep you all posted. Yes. Yes. And thank you to our listeners for checking in. Sorry for the delay. Um, <laughs> sick for such a long time. Happy holidays and happy new year to everyone. Thank you, Audi, once again for rescheduling. Thank you, Maria. And we'll catch you all next week. Bye. See you next week. Bye, Bye guys. Everyone. See you. Bye.